Hello and welcome to another episode of An Irish Man Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. Well, what a momentous weekend this has been. A uh, big shout out to everybody back home in Ireland enjoying that new freedom that you've just been given. I've never seen such a change in the dialogue of a country in the space of 48 hours. Everything changed and everybody is just feeling a little more hopeful and optimistic about the future. And in that way, it's appropriate that Alan Corcoran is our guest today. He is a a one of a kind guy who is all about embracing freedom and embracing the opportunities that life presents you with, no matter how far out there the concepts may seem. But before we get to Alan, we have a little something special starting on Irishman Abroad this Monday. Even without the challenges of the last two years, raising your kids not to be gobshites is exceptionally hard. I think we can all agree. I don't know anyone who doesn't need a little bit of help. I don't know anyone who wouldn't feel a little bit better hearing what other people are dealing with. So here we are. The first ever episode of Honey, You're Ruining Our Kid, the parenting podcast from an Irishman abroad. Children are so smart. If they know there's nappies in the house, they're not going to try. If you're going to toilet train your child, get rid of the nappies. We are struggling to get our 20-month-old to eat anything (laughs) that isn't pasta and bolognese. You know when your child is lying. And how do you get them to be honest without sharing them with all the Catholic guilt we were raised with? (laughs) Sleep when your baby sleeps. What human can fall asleep for 20 seconds and nap for 30 minutes every two hours? None. Just babies. So stop telling me to do this. It's so hard being a parent that the last thing you need is more judgment. You're so aware you're being judged. Yes, it's our brand new parenting podcast. Honey, you're ruining our kid with the voice you heard there, my wife, Tina, who is, of course, a child behavioural expert with 20 years of experience in the business, taking your questions where you get to submit your questions to her and our various different experts that we're going to bring on about the challenges of raising kids and young people today. Irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com is the way to get your message or your question included. It's all 100% anonymous. We never reveal who's asked the question. We just try to help out as best we can and get a little bit of crack out of what is a very serious and sometimes challenging situation. That starts on Monday. It's the Irishman Abroad parenting podcast. Honey, you're ruining our kid with my wife, Tina Regan, on board and in the house every single episode. Uh, I'm so excited after months of work to try to get this together. We're really up and running now to hear the whole thing and to hear my full conversation with Alan Corcoran. There's only one way to get access. Irishman Abroad is on Patreon. That's how our supporters fund this show. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Well, Alan Corcoran's book, Marathon Man, is out now. And I really wanted to have him on to discuss it because it is an uplifting story, to say the least. It's about an extraordinary achievement and it's gripping 
because the person that achieved this achievement was not an experienced long distance runner. He's like most of us, not a clue. How the hell do you run 35 marathons in the space of 35 consecutive days? Well, what a treat it is to have Alan Corcoran on the podcast now. I'll get out of the way and let this conversation unfold. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they're going to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! The headline when we hear about Alan Corcoran is always that he completed 35 marathons in 35 days, that he swam the length of Ireland. And we never really get to hear why or how. Today he's here to talk about the book, which explains exactly that. Marathon Man is the book. It's self-published which is kind of appropriate because it is a one man job. This, even though there's a team involved in all of these things, it's nearly appropriate that this is a self-published book. Alan, it's great to have you on the show. I'm delighted to get the chance to talk to you about the how and the why here today on Irishman Abroad. Thanks for having me on. Nice to get to chat to you. Most of our guests are obviously household names and uh, people that people will know off the TV. They probably have seen your face on Instagram or on Journal or in the Independent or these newspapers where they carry the story. Like I say, the big splashy headline, man completes 35 marathons in 35 days or does something mad like swim in the length of <laughs> Ireland. And, you know, you, you, people do tend to cast their eye over it and go, wow, that's that's stunning. But people must ask you all the time, why would you do that? You must have been, that must be the most common question you get asked. I think it's more of a statement I get. Are you cracked? <laughs> You're mental. That's, that's mostly what, I, what I've been getting off people um, when they hear about what I've, what I've got up to. I mean, it's, it has to start early. I mean, it has to start early on in life. But then I read that you weren't actually a, a runner. You were a sprinter. You were a footballer. But you weren't a fellow with an insane capacity for pain either. Oh, well, there's a lot of pain in 400 meter running, I'll tell you that much. Um, but yeah, I was a sprinter, sprinter by background, um, running with Ferrybank Athletic Club. People might know the names of Thomas Barr and Jesse Barr, probably the most notable guys from my running group uh, who've had a very successful senior athletics career representing Ireland in the Olympics. But yeah, I wasn't an endurance runner. Uh, we used to always dread doing the cross-country, uh, compulsory cross-country races at the start of the season. We were always told that was putting money in the bank for our uh, sprinting on the track come the summertime. Um, so I only got into distance running uh, after I quit sprinting when I was around 20. 
and I went uh, went straight into the deep end with signing up to to run a lap of Ireland with a, a year's prep, really. Well, before we get there, I mean, I do want to dig into maybe one detail of the story that I found that mm-hmm. for a lot of people is the end of their long distance running. People think, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do a marathon. You thought the exact same thing and said, oh, sure, I'll give the Dublin marathon a go four <laughs> weeks out from the actual thing. Talk to us about that. And do you realize exactly how lucky you were not to injure yourself in such a way that you could never run again? Yeah, I was, yeah, it was foolish in hindsight, a uh, bit of young naivety, really, a uh, college student just thinking I'll give it a lash. Um, at that stage, I'd already committed and signed myself up to run a lap of Ireland, um, having watched Eddie Izzard doing it on TV, thinking, well, Eddie's a, a middle-aged man there, I, I'm sure I can plod along like that as well, I'm sure I can get it done. But then once I signed up to the Dublin Marathon and gave it a go with very little prep, I knew how serious of a of a task it was and it deserved a lot more respect than I was initially giving it. So at that stage then, I was eight months out from, from the lap of Ireland run. So I had to really strip it back, um, back to basics and, and build a solid base, which I didn't have going into the Dublin Marathon, but learned my lesson the hard way, uh, being crippled in bed for two or three days afterwards. Crippled in bed for two or three days afterwards is the phrase that you've used a couple of different places to describe what you were going through afterwards. There's a certain amount of shame in that as well. I know other people who've been in the same position because it's hubris, isn't it? It's it is exactly it just, what it you just described. Shows the, yeah, it's it's a challenging distance to say the least. And if you're not prepared, I got through it, and I got through it in around four hours and, and ten minutes. I wasn't that wasn't bad, and I was happy with with getting it done and with most of. Well, with the first half, I'd say I was happy with the first half until things went downhill a bit. But I got the distance done, so that was that gave me some sort of peace of mind or reassurance. But it definitely was a wake up call in terms of the gravity of what I had signed up to, thinking how in the name of Jesus am I going to get up tomorrow and run a marathon and the next day and the next day for five five straight weeks. Well, this is part of the reason why I was so excited to have you on, man, because you know, you aren't Eddie Izzard. I mean, there is something about the celebrity doing what you did that, again, others it and makes it feel like for people, well, ah, well, you know, Eddie had the the money behind him to yeah, have yeah. all the experts checking his lactate levels and every kind of mod con going. But you're yeah, we were, just... We were on a shoestring winging it, yeah, from day to day and month to month. Yeah, so talk to me about the idea and exactly who your father was and where where he fitted into this whole story. Um, yeah, my dad was Milo Corcoran. He was the president of the FAI, the Football Association of Ireland. So I think that's what, he'll, what he's most known for. I'm sure people would have seen his face on, on TV a lot around the, the World Cup in Korea and Japan. So that was sort of the time when he was president. And then back in 2011, he suffered a stroke when he was 60, um, which really rattled my world and which sort of gave me the kick up the arse to go after this this ambition of mine to run a lap of Ireland. How did you find out about the stroke? My mother gave me a call. Um, I was on I was a student in DIT in Bolton Street there uh, studying town planning. 
but I took the opportunity to, to take an Erasmus, um, a six month exchange over to Scotland. Very international studies there. Uh, <laughs> I got laughed out of the pub at the international, uh, introduction day when I introduced myself from being from Ireland with me pint of Guinness in the corner and ginger beard. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my mother gave me a, a ring and explained what had happened. I didn't know what a stroke was at the time and, because I, I, I didn't know anybody who had a stroke. I hadn't, I hadn't heard of anyone in my extended family or friends that have suffered a stroke. So I went straight online and onto the Irish Heart Foundation's website. And then obviously that just hit me like a ton of bricks. So I was straight back onto the phone to see if I could get home. But I was uh, under strict parent, parental instruction to stay and get, get my exams passed in May. So sort of left isolated a bit over in Scotland and wanting to be home to support my family, support my dad. And that's sort of just the, the brewing pot really for, for this ambition when, when I just decided, let's go for this, let's try run it up of Ireland, try raise it, it, is, a, a it, few it bobs is for the Irish Heart Foundation and that. It is definitely something that only Irish people abroad can understand what you're describing there. The not being there, yeah. just feeling so powerless. I can totally understand how this plan percolates and appears in your mind's eye because that sense of isolation and that, as I say, powerlessness and real impotence in the whole situation of your father's well-being, you can't really put it into words unless you've lived it. It must have been torturous to then have to do these really important exams in the middle of that. Yeah, it's just it was just for me, it was a feeling of doing something. I just hated not being able to do anything, as you say, just being helpless. Um, I know it's only Scotland and not over in Australia, but at the same time, I'm, I'm relying on my parents to, to be funding me flights back and, and all that. And they were saying, just stay, study, pass the exams and then come back. We'll, we'll look after that. There's nothing you can do. But even them saying there's nothing you can do wasn't much help. You still want to be there and just even got to pick him up the newspaper or his, his fresh blaze or whatever he needs he needs doing you know so yeah a difficult then so was focused on on getting the exams done and starting the preparation for this this challenge it, it gave me a bit of hope i suppose in that low point for me and um, something to look forward to something to aim for even then you say looking forward to yeah I mean, <laughs> well, people that's, would I, be like i'll organize a quiz night yeah, <laughs> five well, aside football tournament yeah um, it was just ro- romantic naivety i suppose I, I hadn't um i hadn't appreciated the gravity of what a marathon consists of or what running consistent marathons uh entails but it was just the romantic notion of running a lap of ireland and raising money for charity i suppose i'd seen eddie izzard raise quarter of a million so that's what that inspired me to and i never came anywhere near close to that but it was yeah it was inspirational to see what eddie had achieved and that um that gave me the the drive what eddie did uh caught people off guard and i actually know mm-hmm. eddie's manager quite well uh i've never met him myself and we've tried to have him on the show a few times and even again since starting the running podcast with Sonia because yeah. it really caught people off guard N- nobody saw that coming for Eddie yeah. Izzard even as a man who famously decided he was going to learn enough French to perform stand-up in French <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. N- people were completely blown away by what he did you obviously were too but there 
has to be, uh, to go back to our first thing, a part of you that kind of enjoyed people saying, you're mad. This is crazy. Yeah, it just put a smile on my face watching um, Eddie. So Eddie ran 43 marathons in 51 days for sports relief. And that's where I came across it on TV when I was around, I was around 17 or 18 at the time. And you see that sports relief with the celebrities on every year, raising a few bob. And it just, uh, just excited me and lifted me up. And I was just laughing at, I suppose, all the reactions that Eddie was getting when they were going into the, into the Olympic Institute saying, well, when are you planning to do this in a year or two years time? He said, uh, four weeks. Going, you must be mental. <laughs> but then seeing Eddie plodding along and getting it done, it was just impressive to me. And I just wanted to, I just thought that at that point, I wonder, could I do something like that? So there's only, only one way to find out, I suppose. Put yourself to the test, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it obviously requires an awful lot of planning. There isn't, there isn't, it isn't just a case of heading out. He, he, logistically, yeah. the town planning <laughs> <laughs> must have come in handy because essentially it's, Break it down for us. Break yeah, that, it down that was... like, just so that people can understand who, you know, I would run 50 kilometers a week, be delighted with myself. <laughs> Absolutely over the moon. You're talking 917 miles, 147, uh, 1,476 kilometers. Is that correct? And plus, plus wrong turns. <laughs> yeah, the, the logistics, the logistics was just a, it was a steep learning curve. Um, Again, when I was saying there, I suppose a naive student signing up to run a lap of Ireland in my head, I'm just dreaming about running, running through the countryside and running through the towns and all that. But I suppose that's the, that's the romantic side of it. And that's the bit that got pulled me into the project. But then you're left trying to find places to stay, your accommodation, your food, your support car, your support team. How are you going to fund all these things? And even the pairs of runners, I might have burned through around 10 pairs of runners that year. Again, I'm a student. I was working as a part-time dish scrubber in the local hotel on minimum wage. So there was no big sponsors behind this bankrolling it. So you're just left to sort of problem solve on your own and relying on friends and family to help you out and help help you get to the finish line, help you get to the start line first. But that was probably the main challenge. I mean, so much of uh, what Sonia tells us every week is about, at the moment, it's about preparing to run a really fast 5K. That's what the focus is. Yeah. But you can't really prepare for this as such, can you? I mean, what in some ways, putting more miles on your feet prior to heading off on this trip is probably a bad thing. That in, you know, I would imagine, you tell me if I'm wrong, that you need to build an aerobic capacity but keep your legs sound so that they're ready to do what is essentially five hours of running each day. Yeah. So after my Dublin City Marathon uh, disaster, I probably had around a week off there to recuperate. And then I was back on to, I was living in Stony Batter at the time. So I was out to Phoenix Park getting in the miles. It sort of started at, I got met with um, Jerry Duffy, um, a man who had run 32 marathons in 32 counties in 32 days. So he was sort of the, the key for me anyway. Um, when I when I signed up to run a lap of Ireland, I hadn't known that anyone had done something like that. So I was just trying to find, just searching around to see if I could get a training plan. 
I had to mm. follow and sort of take the, the thinking out. For me, I knew how to sprint a lap of a track, but jogging yeah. around a lap of the country was another kettle of fish. So uh, he I was mean, it's, it's not just that. another kettle of fish, it's another species of animal. I mean, <laughs> yeah. really, you, it actually couldn't be more opposite in so many ways that yeah. really the control and I guess the kind of relaxation of settling to a pace that you can do for five hours mm -hmm. is something that a lot of people will struggle with anyway is running slow is what Sonia has said to us time and time again is actually it's actually a really difficult thing to do what does that training plan even look like um so i got maybe a five month plan off jerry which was essentially the one that he had followed and which worked for him uh, which was written up by richard donovan who's um he used to be an international ultra distance runner uh, for Ireland. So I knew that it worked. If it, it worked for, for Jerry and it worked for his friend Ken, who followed him on that. So there was two of the guys were, were doing that 32 counties, uh, marathon challenge. Uh, so at least I had that peace of mind. So it was just up to me to show up, but that started at 50 miles per week. So I was coming from not doing any miles per week, really, um, just sprinting and doing, I don't know, it could have been six by 150 meters or something fairly flat out. Mm. So it was a big jump up to 50 miles. So I met with Jerry Deegan, uh, who was an Irish Olympian who trained down in Ferrybank Athletic Club as well, told him what I was up to. And I said, I need you to help me get up to 50 miles a week so I can jump into this plan. So for I, I had maybe November and December, I started off at maybe 30 miles up to 40 and then jumped in then to, to Jerry's plan, which peaked at 116 miles per week. So when you're doing that, you're, one of my training sessions was the Connemara Ultra, which was a 39-mile race in Connemara. So I had run maybe 15 miles the day before. Do you know, you have people, people were there after tapering down for the last month or two weeks or whatever. And I was there in the, in the peak of training. So it was, uh, it was an interesting time, all right. And, uh, challenging, I mean, challenging thing to follow. My head's spinning thinking about it because I can remember the episode where Sonia explained to us exactly what she was running at the peak <laughs> of her career, which yeah. was roughly 100 miles. And that was, you know, at the absolute peak, you're going 115 plus. You're obviously not doing it at the speed that she no, was doing. I mean, she's certainly not trying to go near Sonia's pace at all. No, <laughs> yeah. no. You're not going like the clappers, but you're... As I say, you're finding a discipline and a trust, a meditative kind of breath pace where you can hold the heart rate to yeah. where you need to hold it. Yeah. I'd imagine that you tell me what's the biggest battle with that is boredom uh, factor. Um, I, I didn't didn't really struggle with boredom. I was going through um, through Phoenix Park was my main training ground, and I used to love going out uh, in the mornings along the trails and having a few dodgy encounters with the wildlife and that uh, the local stags, which I hadn't anticipated <laughs> until I was there at six a.m. in the morning facing one of these big guys with his antlers, and I was like, "All right, <laughs> I'll get out of your way." So, giving him a wide berth. <laughs> But yeah, it was just finding a pace, I suppose, after there was maybe a two, three month building block. And then I was into doing marathons in training and they were sort of, I did maybe around 10 marathons in training dotted throughout that eight month preparation period. And they were roughly all coming in at around four and a half hours. I wasn't really looking at the clock or my kilometers, that like the pace that I was doing, how many kilometers an hour I was running. I was just sort of going off a field and they were all sort of consistently coming in at four and a half hours and feeling just 
incredibly different compared to the Dublin Marathon. It's a sort of hammered home the importance of consistency and having a smart plan. Because I, I suppose I, I could take a, a marathon on a Saturday, go to the library and start working on my dissertation and then back in for another marathon on Sunday. And it didn't take all that much out of me compared to when I was locked in my room with my knees and Achilles and all everything hanging off after the Dublin marathon experience. Alan, it still makes my head swim. What you're <laughs> describing right now is it, it's still mind blowing to me because, as you say, you're not professional like, you know, the professional, the Sinead mm-hmm. Divers of this world. They're solely focused on running those miles each week. You are still attempting to hold your life together. I mean, I assume you were single at the time. I, I was. I was single. Very at the much time. so. Yeah, yeah, very <laughs> much so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Struggling with um, like working, working part time in the kitchen, as I was saying, on minimum wage, doing me full time course up in DIT, clocking these miles, and then. As the, the event came closer, I ended up sort of being dumped with a lot of the logistics side of things as well, which I had originally had somebody with somebody else's responsibility. But the, the closer we got to the start line, the more it looked like we were going to be sleeping rough or we weren't going to have any physios or anything. So wow. that all sort of came. Yeah, it got very, got a, got a lot on the plate uh, very quickly coming towards the start line. All right. Was there a moment in the lead up to that? There's obviously going to be moments during it where you think consider quitting. But when sometimes when we have these grand ideas, it doesn't matter whether it's a podcast or a, a stand up show that you want to take to the Edinburgh Festival. There is sometimes a moment in the middle of the night where you think, why am I doing this? I think my, but my biggest moment was that was when I was in the bed after the Dublin Marathon. But then once I started going and, and accumulating the hours on the on the roads and the trails, then the more the more I got down that path, I think the the more sort of steadfast I was in my mindset that this I was I was doing this once I told my father my ambition and I'd committed to the charities and told my mom and you know each of these steps sort of built a bit more weight on your shoulders, a bit more expectations and then and I suppose with that then just increased my my drive to follow through on what I had said and by the time the the logistics sort of went tits up, said, right, like he got to put my head down on this then. And that sort of took away from the training and the enjoyment of, of the physical, like of getting outdoors and running in nature. But mm. I knew I could run to the moon and back. But if I didn't have a support team and food and physio and hotel and all that sort of stuff, somewhere to stay, it wouldn't be any use. So I needed to divert some of my attention towards the end to put out that, or towards the start line, I should say, to put out that fire. This is why the Marathon Man book is something that everybody needs to get their hands on. They can, of course, get it through Amazon, I think, is the easiest way, even though I do prefer to support your local independent bookstore. I'm sure there's a few of them that have it, but it is the how to the as well as the kind of warts and all grit and grind kind of guide to how a human being does what you did. It is a mindset piece isn't it it's a description of where the head needs to be at in order to train whether it's a fast 5k or a a sub three marathon that you're chasing Mm -hmm. i love that part of this resilience is at the center just basic resilience and toughness mental toughness 
that has to be tested on day one when you arrive at the start line in Waterford City with what feels like stress fractures in your legs. Yeah, well, for me, I was actually surprisingly fresh at the start because I had had to divert my energy and attention to the organising and planning. As you've touched on it there, there's no big Red Bull team sponsoring this. It's sort of down to me to try piece it all together, really. Um, so I hadn't, I was sort of had a forced taper period um, where I wasn't actually getting in much mileage. So my body felt fresh, but that sort of, that concerned me starting off because then you I suppose when you had a had a break, then you're wondering how am I going to cope with this getting back up and running again? I'd run two back like two back to back marathon on a Saturday and a Sunday in training, and I'd done the the thirty nine miles was my longest solo run. So I'd sort of I had I'd built up confidence in in the year or throughout the year by completing that training plan. So I sort of felt day one and day two. I was confident enough. It was the the question mark was day three to thirty five, and that was a massive question mark. Well, this is the mad maddest part of it is the lack of rest. Rest just seems like the thing that the world is waking up to as a concept. Yeah, yeah. Even putting your phone in the kitchen and buying an alarm clock seems to be a revelation to people. <laughs> the idea that your phone shouldn't be in your bedroom, and just the benefits of even giving your stomach a rest from eating yeah. meat, as we discussed with Dr. Allen last week. You made some very strange calls in terms of rest and taking rest days. People told you this is the daftest part of all of what you're doing. Why were you so, I guess, thick-headed around this, <laughs> this idea? Because I, I'd imagine now that you're an older man, you look back and go, yeah, I could have allowed myself a rest day right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a, well, there was a few, few reasons on it. One was the 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 hook i suppose for the marketing aspect of trying to raise money for charity 35 marathons in 35 days had a nicer ring to it and i thought it'd be an easier sell to try get the public Mm. to donate versus 35 marathons in 42 days sounded a bit naff to be trying but as well there's the (laughs) really it was literally just the ring to it the ring to it but there was also as well the uh i suppose the logistic aspects of of that decision as well if you're if you're adding in an extra five, six recovery days. You're, you're looking for more support team members. You're looking for the car and insurance and hotels and mm. food for extra days. So trying to get in, get out and get the job done as quickly as possible and at the lowest, uh, lowest expense risk. Jesus. I, I mean, that was, like, that was the part to me that just the more I delve into the story, the more I was like, that's a head scratcher because (laughs) you did face every possible type of injury and Mm -hmm. i think the matter of factness about the way you talk about running 39 miles there which is just for those that are still strava heads who are going (laughs) in kilometers what is it 62 kilometers in one run yeah you're going to hit um, pulled hamstrings, Achilles. Uh, I, I mean, talk to me a little bit about the the gruesome the, the stuff <laughs> that uh, you faced into. Yeah, sort of. I suppose you you get to you get to have a taster of everything that the ultras guys be showing you with the bleeding nipples and lost toenails and back pain, knee pain, Achilles. Yeah, everything was everything was hurting at some point or another. But what sort of astonished me was 
how the body adapted. Um, I had one point up by Nuri where I had a, a quad strain and I was like, I met with the physio and he said, like on, on any average day, I'd be telling you take a week off here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you obviously can't do that and you have to try grapple with that in your head and I suppose eat your food and do your stretches and go to bed knowing that you have to get up and run a marathon tomorrow. But my body responded somehow. I didn't know why, but I didn't want to question at any time. The pain went away. I was just grateful to be to be running uh, pain-free. But it was astonishing the fact that you could have a, a quad strain and you would think that by running you're going to only do more damage, but two marathons later that could be gone. But then inevitably wow. the Achilles pain could be kicking up. So there was always sort of something there that was, uh, that was coming in to, to test you. I mean, I doubt that there's a physio listening to this that's going, yeah, yeah, you constrained your quad. What you need to do now is go out and run 42 kilometers. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I kind of have had my own journey physically this way in terms of having actual fear around injury. Uh, I spent a good deal of my 20s limping around the campus of UCD uh, because of uh, two torn laterals in my hips. And that will put a fear into you, won't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the stuff that comes through in the book in terms of the inspirational side of this book is obviously pushing through setbacks, but also it's humor. You use humor so much in the book and even in the way you're talking about it now, to, I guess, lighten what is a various, very serious situation for yourself, potentially yeah. life-threatening if you do it wrong. Is that just the Waterford way? Is that the Corcoran way? <laughs> or are, are, were you coached to say you've got to laugh in the face of this? Um, I'm not too sure. I, th- I think it might have just been... I might have just developed from, I'd say, like the Ferrybank Athletic Club sessions at the 400 metres and 400 metre hurdles, um, sort of known as the, the man killer, the, the, just the lactic acid and intensity of it. And there was just a lot of hell sessions that we would have got through as teenagers. And I suppose with that, it's just learning the, the mentality and the mindset of you're obviously flat out and, and all in on those sprints. And then just in between it then, I was trying to encourage each other and have a laugh here and there and... Yeah, make mm. make light of it and try try make it a bit bit easier on yourself before going into the next round of of war. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you said a mouthful there, and that is the community side of this that uh, really speaks volumes. And the way the book is reaching people, all you need to do is go on to Goodreads dot com and put in the name of the book to understand the impact that the book is having on people. But there's an awful lot more to talk about Alan over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad in the second half of my conversation with Alan we're going to talk about his epic attempt to swim the length of Ireland and how it all went wrong in 2017 and how he got back on the horse in 2019 and also the documentary that he's trying to uh, self-fund and kickstarter its way into existence We'll talk about all of that and an awful lot more over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Become a supporter of Irishman Abroad this week. We can't make this show without you. So pop over there and start enjoying the benefits of our premium feed, including the rest of my conversation with the brilliant Alan Corker. 
there you have it, the first half of my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Alan Corcoran. There is so much more in this chat, as I said. Marathonman.co is the place to go to learn more about Alan. But to hear more, there's only one place to go to hear every episode of Irishman running abroad with Sonia Sullivan every Tuesday. To hear Marion McKeown on the Irishman in America and our brand new parenting podcast, Honey, You're Ruining Our Kid with my wife. Tina Regan, the child behavioural expert and all the peak contributors that we're going to get on there. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. We need your support to keep the show up and running. And that's the way to support us and get access to absolutely everything. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Brian Connolly's on sound as usual. Tina and Mikey make it all possible. And Alan Corcoran, massive thanks to him. Come on over and hear the rest of the conversation now. <laughs> 